This is Asian Insider, and I'm Nirmal Ghosh. Now, as the novel coronavirus continues to spread across the United States, there are also new cases emerging in Southeast Asia. We are seeing increasing travel bans. India has banned all international arrivals for one week starting this weekend. Australia has closed its borders to foreigners. So we are seeing countries take desperate measures, even at the risk of precipitating economic recession. Meanwhile, the United States is no longer on the brink of a recession. It is in one. And we'll come to that in a bit. But today I have on the line Dr. Danny Kwa, Lee Kashing Professor in Economics and Dean of the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy in Singapore. And Dr. Saad Omar, Director and Professor at the Yale Institute for Global Health and Associate Dean of Global Health Research at the Yale School of Medicine. Thank you both gentlemen for being with us. I know it's an extremely busy time for all of us. So, Dr. Omar, first, let's try and put this in context. The last time I looked, the trajectory here in the U.S. was the same as it was in Italy, and that is not encouraging. But one must also consider it is increased testing that is producing these growing numbers, and that is a good thing as we get a better picture of the pandemic. But it also bears out the hypothesis that there are many more infections out there already. Now, what is your take? What is your assessment of where the U.S. is in bringing down this growth curve? So right now, uh, yes, we are seeing more uh, cases because uh, we are ramping up testing, etc. But there are a few things. The, the so-called sentinel events have shown us that the community transmission is well established in many parts of the U.S. Um, there are several outbreaks, sub-outbreaks going on uh, with different trajectories because we had uh, several introductions at different times, uh, but um, we are getting more numbers due to not just new testing, but the fact that we have community transmission going on right now. Dr. Kwa, let me quickly read out a couple of uh, lines from research reports. First, to S&P Global predicts the U.S. economy will shrink by 1% in the first quarter and by an even larger 6% in the second quarter. Quote, while economic data for March is just starting to be released, the severity of the blow from the coronavirus leads us to believe that the U.S. is entering recession, if not already in one. And then Oxford Economics, the U.S. economy is in a recession. The coronavirus pandemic will lead to profound, pervasive and persistent, but not permanent reductions in activity with widespread cuts in social spending, severe disruptions to supply chains, and a major interruption in travel and tourism activity. So from where you sit in Singapore, what do you see coming up the track, so to speak, and what are the ramifications for Asia in particular? Well, all those are consistent with how uh, many of us in Asia are thinking will happen in the West. To be clear, up until a month ago or so, most of the expectation was that the slowdown in China, you know, the initial uh, the initial center for this COVID-19 epidemic, was going to be the critical factor for Asia. And and with that alone, many analysts, many economists in Asia were already shading down their prediction for growth over 2020-2021 by as much as one percentage point. And at that point, the expectation was that North America, Western Europe, the broad outlook remained roughly unchanged. Right now, things do not look good economics-wise for, for that part of the world. The center for, for the pandemic has now shifted towards Western Europe. And so the best guess is that uh, recession is almost surely going to be on the cards for many across Asia. The Economist Intelligence Unit has already factored in 
these changes, and that's exactly what they are expecting as well. Dr. Omar, back to you, uh, if I may. It seems increasingly likely, uh, it, it looks in, like the U.S. is caught between defeating the virus at the cost of a recession. That is putting much more draconian measures in place and so forth. Or, conversely, keeping the economy afloat but risking greater spread and more deaths. Now, in New York, we are seeing the mayor and the governor discussing whether or not to order an actual lockdown. Is this a fair assessment of the dilemma? And what direction do you see it actually going in? Yeah, so it's it's a it's a trade-off, um, and then there are several counterfactuals. There's several scenarios that you have to weigh. For example, uh, you know, governments and policymakers, and the ones I have talked to, have to decide between having uh, some of these measures now versus later. Sometimes, and and off we do know that preemptive measures are a lot more effective uh, than measures that are reactive. So that's one part. But obviously, the longevity of these measures um, have to be kept in mind. Um, I'm actively working with colleagues to figure out strategies that would help us ease uh, the burden a little bit without increasing the risk of, of, of disease spread. But, but that's early work right now. But right now, I think it was a reasonable strategy to have these measures and to have drastic social distancing to break the rise of this outbreak in the US. Do you think the social distancing is sufficient at the moment? It's necessary, but not sufficient. People have to have strategies that focus on mitigation of transmission probabilities within households. Um, and, uh, and so these two additional steps, uh, i.e. early contact tracing and testing contacts and early isolation, and um, you know, focusing on household transmission will have to be added uh, to, to this strategy. Dr. Kwad, uh, switching to you for a moment, the U.S. is preparing this huge spending package to assist the potentially millions who are losing jobs even as we speak, especially across much of the services sector. In fact, coming the, uh, the airlines are going to be in, in deep trouble in a couple of weeks. Other institutions have also come up with money for the global economy, the World Bank and so forth. A lot of stimulus packages out there. How much do you think these measures will turn the tide economically or at least tide us over and for how many months? I think that these packages are now going to have to be just the tip of the iceberg in how the world deals with this outbreak. What we have to remember is that there's both a demand side and a supply side that needs to be supported. And a lot of the measures that look at, say, uh, you know, increasing consumer spending, improving the situation, the well-being and the living conditions of the households, all of that exactly spot on the right thing to do. But the same time that we're doing that, we have to acknowledge that supply chains need to be maintained. You know, the fact that supermarket shelves are empty is an indication not of insufficient demand, but it's an indication that demand is there, but supply needs to keep up. So at the same time that we're spending these billions, hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars in supporting the global economy, we need to be targeting the different sectors of the economy to keep market exchange going. All of that will be helpful in repairing the trade-off between the reproduction rate and the socioeconomic cost that the global economy will almost surely 
have to be dealing with. Dr. Kaur, there is another aspect. This virus has deepened the suspicion and the negative rhetoric between China and the United States. What are the ramifications of that? I mean, we already have supply chain disruption. Are we looking at accelerating that process, a reordering of uh, the supply chains between China and the West and the US in particular? Um, it is very worrying to hear the escalation in rhetoric between the two great powers. Admittedly, the rhetoric has emerged from, you know, among other things, the President of the United States continuing to use a language that even the World Health Organization condemns. And that rhetoric builds on a narrative that he and parts of his, his administration have been, have been on for the last two years. It is very worrying. The thing about a global pandemic is that it's one of those challenges that don't carry passports. This is one of those challenges that the entire world needs to come together to repair. And right now, the two great powers are not helping when the rhetoric escalates in this way. There are some bright spots. You know, as we all have become aware, China has deployed a great number of testing kits, has deployed a great number of health and medical personnel across different parts of the world. Italy, in particular, has seen a major infusion of Chinese assistance. And it is those things, those medical personnel on the ground, building a better understanding of how we all need to be pulling together that will be critical. I hope that the world will be able to get past this geopolitical rhetoric and actually see what is going on on the ground. Yes, a lot of people think this is another nail in the sort of coffin, so to speak, of globalization. But ironically, you need global cooperation to deal with this global threat. Dr. Omar, um, last question to you. We have heard President Donald Trump talk about defeating the virus. We've heard Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin say the U.S. will, quote unquote, destroy the virus. Is that wishful thinking? And if so, does that unduly raise expectations? I mean, this virus could come back in waves, surely? Yeah, so we currently expect that it's not going to go away in the in a matter of months or so. It will be with us for, for some period. Uh, we expect it to be com controlled. Uh, I think the control of that virus and, and uh, suppressing it to levels eventually uh, where it becomes one more disease we deal with, that's possible. Uh, but it will take some time and it will take uh, interventions such as vaccines uh, to bring it down to manageable, you know, obviously every death is uh, unacceptable, but uh, there are certain level of mortality that we live with, with certain diseases to, to bring it down to those level is possible. But, uh, but at this point, we are not looking at an eradication, a complete eradication scenario, because the, the cat is out of the bag. We may be looking at it, you know, uh, a year or so down the line, depending on the vaccine's efficacy and the world's desire to get rid of it. But right now, no serious person is actually discussing complete eradication of virus. Our best uh, strategy would be medic heavy medication and suppression of the virus. What is your assessment of the state of... Um the U.S. health system. I mean, obviously, the government, the federal government and state governments are trying to ramp things up. But there are serious sort of shortcomings in terms of capacity, uh, which we've all been you know, reading about and hearing about. What is your assessment right now? Do you think it's, it's ramping up successfully? 
So uh, I'm a I'm a public health global health person, and and my ethos is the glass is never 90% empty. There's it's always at least 10% full. So yes, there are shortcomings in uh, surge capacity. There are shortcomings in ICU capacity. But at the same time, I know, especially the fact that you, the U.S. has this decentralized system of academic medical centers uh, that are engines of innovation, not just for the U.S., but for the world as well. I have seen colleagues come together uh, for innovating, for expanding ICU capacity, uh, looking at trials and treatments that could potentially have an impact on our ability to manage uh, this virus. Uh, so, so there are bright spots as well uh, in the system uh, because of the way it is set up. Uh, but, but we need to take this seriously, and there are several concerns around it as well. Dr. Kwa, a last question for you before we wrap up. What is the view of the U.S. out there about the way the U.S. is handling this and the potential ramifications in terms of uh, the impact of a, of, a, of a very, very sharp recession in the U.S., sharp and sudden recession? There are quite a number of observers in Asia who are looking on at how the Trump administration has been handling this crisis with considerable horror. Many places in Asia have worked very hard at containment, at detection, and have been able to bring down dramatically the infection rate in our societies. Wuhan itself, which was running several thousand new cases a day at the height in January and February, yesterday reported zero new cases. There are strategies that work, there are containment strategies that work. And we, many in Asia, who've acknowledged the dangers and risk, have taken on exactly these strategies. But right now, we're confronted with a whole rest of the world, and we're worrying about now importing cases of COVID-19. So when we see the Trump administration switching 180 degrees in the space of a week between, on the one extreme, Donald Trump suggesting that all of this is just a hoax to the realization that we're going to be seeing massive fatalities across different parts of the world, uh, it, is, it is sobering and it is frightening because the world needs to come together. Our traditional leadership in the, in the global economy that has been able to deal with these kinds of emergencies seem to have left the building. And so we're looking on in horror. The, the, the level of technical expertise in the United States, in the United Kingdom, is so considerable. The wisdom that's been built up on how to deal with pandemics is so deep. But a lot of that seems to be being ignored by Western political leaders, by America's political leaders. So we're looking on with some worry. Okay, on that, okay. On that uh, rather sober note, thank you very much, Professor Kwa. Thank you, Dr. Omar. Thank you for your time this evening. Most grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Take care out there. The next couple of weeks will be crucial in the U.S. in terms of what the U.S. does. It's $1.5, $1, $1 trillion plus 
package, rescue package, relief package, and also the tightening efforts to curb the spread of the coronavirus and make sure that the health system is up to it and does not get stretched beyond its limits. Creation Insider, I'm Nirmal Ghosh.